0: I remember when I was in college, I heard about someone who was going to Florida to start a church. And I thought that was very weird. Just from my upbringing, I don't know, I kind of thought churches had always been there. I didn't realize that I would get the opportunity to do that one day. And a little over 21 years ago, we had the opportunity to do that here. To uh, start a church from scratch with a group of people. And it was exciting and fun and awesome. And that church turned into uh, Gateway Community Church. Very early on in that process, just months into it, Jabin and his wife uh, joined us as part of the just crew that was really trying to kick Gateway off. One of the fun things about starting a church is you kind of get to make up the rules. So um, we thought about what we believed that God wanted us to do, and we knew that it was going to be about connection. And so we decided to organize our church government of it, congregationally. And there are different ways of organizing churches. The Bible doesn't give us a constitution for this is what churches are, how churches are supposed to make decisions. I mean, it gives us some hints, but there's a lot of latitude. One method of organizing a church is congregational. And and in a congregational model, what that means is the church is ours. I had a little kid this week that's part of our after-school program with Gateway Village Children's Center, we have a, a preschool and an after school program here during the week. And he asked me a question about my church. And I said, You know, it's not my church, it belongs to all of us. And he looked at me thoroughly confused. But anyway, the church is out, it really is ours. And we make decisions about the church. And that, that means for significant decisions, we actually take a vote at Gateway. All in, all not. Several years ago, we owned this piece of property. Some of you have heard that story. We were gonna sell off a little bit of it and take out a loan and try to build this beautiful building over here all in favor. And it was literally a church vote. Along with that congregational model, we also noticed that the scripture often talks about a group of people who kind of give oversight and spiritual direction and service and kind of a governorship to the church overall and often they're called elders. So we organized our church so that we would be both a congregational model, but we would also have elders who organized and helped and assisted, led, and gave oversight, spiritual oversight, even financial oversight. We have a group of elders that do that, and it's a wonderful uh, group of people that meets with me once a month, prays for you all. It's an awesome group. I've had people concerned before that what we've elected to our elder board is a bunch of yes men, so I invite you to, to any one of our elder meetings if you're ever concerned about them being yes men, because they're decidedly not. Sometimes I wish they were. And we are considering another set, two people, for the elder board at Gateway. We will be voting in a few weeks on them. Those of you who are members at Gateway will have a, a table at the back, and you'll go yes or no. And our Constitution reads, if 75% of us don't vote yes, then this person is not affirmed. So at least 75% have to vote yes. One of those people that we're putting forward for eldership is Jabin Bell. And we're putting Jabin forward for eldership because those of you who have been around already will periodically ask me about Jabin. Wait, I thought he already was because he has served in every capacity at Gateway. He has led in every capacity at Gateway. He has raised four children and is still raising one here at Gateway and uh, his children have served in every capacity at Gateway. Um, and Jabin has a wonderful and a rich story and a history and a profound godliness and theological sophistication. So I've asked Jabin if he would to tell his story this morning so that we would know what we're voting on in a few weeks for those of you who don't know him, so Gateway, Javen Bell.
1: Good morning, everybody. A lot of you know me, a lot of you don't. As Ed said, I've been around a while, and I wanted to take this opportunity to tell you my story, tell you what God's done in my life. So, who am I? I am the son of a pastor, an army chaplain. My dad did what I would call an amazing job of both serving the church and his family. So, I did not feel like I lost him to the church. In fact, I felt like he brought God into the house, and God was part of our family. So I grew up with God as part of my family. We talked to him, we heard from him, we listened to his voice. That was cool, that's a blessing that I hope I've passed on to my kids. But I did move a lot, hence Ed's question earlier. By the time I went to college, I had lived in 10 different places. And you can see the list up on the slides, I'm sorry, they're up here for you guys. It looks like a really cool list of cosmopolitan, international places. Some of these are really just little towns in the middle of nowhere. In any case, by the time I went off to college, I had a good conversation starter. I could go at least 10 minutes before I ran out of things to say in any conversation. I went off to college at MIT up in Boston, and I left South Carolina. I moved in there, lived in that room for two weeks, and moved to college. But I left the protection of my father's household for the first time. And that was a significant event for me. I was faced with choices that I had never had before. Choices that I had to make about who I was, and what I did, and how I lived. And I made a lot of choices, some of which stuck, like my haircut. Right? I used to have longer hair. ROTC made me cut it, so it wasn't really a choice, but it stuck. I started rowing. I spent three years on the crew team at MIT. I still have a rowing machine in the basement that I use two to three times a week today. I majored in aerospace engineering and still work in that field. And the joke is, yes, I am a rocket scientist. I also made some choices that were significant, probably more significant than any other choices I've made in my life. And that was to make God a priority. So my freshman year, I was on what I would call autopilot with God. Went to church, behaved decently, mostly. Tried out some things I hadn't tried before and would never have done if I was at home. But just kind of muddled through. Went home that summer, back into a place where God was the priority, and decided that that's really what I wanted. And so I came back to my sophomore year of school, reprioritized. I came back, determined that God would be the priority in my life, and that stuck. Second most important thing that happened in college is I met my wife, Susan. The love of my life and my number two priority. Graduated, two weeks later I got married, two weeks later I went on active duty for the Air Force and spent the next four and a half years at Hanscom Air Force Base. What does it mean to live in Christ? After Hanscom, we left and moved down here to Northern Virginia. That was January of 98. As Ed said, Gateway was in the process of being formed, and through a series of what I believe are God-orchestrated circumstances, we were looking for Gateway. We had heard about Gateway. We were looking for it, and when we found it, they were meeting in a school around the corner from the hotel we were staying in. We started coming to Gateway. We joined Gateway. We ended up attending what was probably the second or third running of Edge community study. And I was somewhat reluctantly convinced of the importance of community. Now, that reluctant convincing has grown over the years and is no longer reluctant. When we moved to Virginia, we had one kid who wasn't quite crawling. We now have four kids. All four have been dedicated here in this church. All four have been raised in this community. All four have been blessed by this community. And I think it's been a significant factor in who they've turned out to be. And I kind of like my kids. So, you know, that's, that's a good reason to like community. The fourth kid, though, kind of threw life into a little bit of disruption. We were too big for our house. So in the summer of 2004, we moved to South Riding. That's the house we're still in. And I felt like that whole process was very much orchestrated by God as well. Those of you who are around then remember that the real estate market was nuts. Houses were selling like that. In fact, we sold our house the afternoon we listed it when we were leaving Centerville. We had a series of things that had to work out for us to move into the new house. Mainly, the sellers had to find their own place to go to. And I felt like I got a word from God that it was going to work out, but at the last possible minute. And that's what happened. The thing that was odd for me was that that word from God of it's not going to work out to the last minute came with a sense of peace. And I'm still not sure what's the greater miracle, that I was at peace about it or that it did work out at the last minute. We moved into uh, this new place in South Riding, new to us anyway, and it was a little empty. We kind of rattled around. It it was much bigger than our old place, but we filled it up. Furniture, stuff, people, over time. And seven years later, in the summer of 2011, we were on vacation in Illinois and got a phone call from somebody in our small group. She basically said, "Uh, you may not want to come home. We'd had a plumbing leak in an upstairs bathroom while we were out of town. And the entire interior of the house had been soaked, top to bottom. And by the time we were done, every room in the house had some kind of repair done. And the, the first floor was basically gutted to the studs. So I came back to that mess. They hadn't started cleaning it up yet or they were in process. And I remember walking around the house, looking at all of our stuff that was mostly destroyed, and was pleasantly surprised to find out that it was just stuff, and I didn't really care. All I really cared about was, where am I gonna keep the family? Where are we gonna live? How's everybody gonna get taken care of? And God provided, partly through Gateway, the same gal who called us, one of her neighbors ended up moving unexpectedly, and so we were able to rent a townhouse month to month, in-south riding with pets and walking distance from the elementary school my kids needed to be at. God's good. He took care of us. The next one's the big one, really big. Remember how I told you my second priority in this world? Susan? June of 2016, I was in Denver on a business trip and we had just finished our meetings. I was eating dinner with coworkers on the way to the airport and I got a phone call from Sue. She'd been feeling somewhat poorly, had gone in for a CAT scan, and as she left the CAT scan they said, go down the hall to urgent care. She got to urgent care and they said, we're calling 911 and sending you to the emergency room. And so she called me at dinner to say, they're sending me to the emergency room because I have an aortic aneurysm. Later that afternoon, evening, I'm now at the airport waiting for my flight, talking to Sue again, she's now in the emergency room and she informs me that she's going in for emergency open heart surgery the next day. That was the longest flight I have ever had back from Denver. I spent the three hours looking out the window, tears down my cheeks, crying out to God. And oddly enough, I wasn't really concerned he was gonna take her away. I didn't think that's what he was up to. But just the thought that I might lose her hurt terribly and tremendously. And my cry to God was, I give her to you. She is my greatest treasure, and I give her to you. I don't think you're going to take her, but I give her to you. And if you do take her, you've got to carry me through because I can't do this on my own. The next afternoon, in the waiting room, as I'm waiting for her to come out of surgery, and by the way, it was a six-hour surgery. God did something... For me, unexpected, amazing, and really powerful. The entire time I was in that waiting room, I was never alone. The men of Gateway showed up. I don't think they planned it. I don't think they organized it. But in twos and threes, the men of Gateway showed up. I was never alone in that waiting room. That's not something I would ever have asked for, but God provided. So, you see, community, it's important. And that was kind of brought home to me again by the last thing on the list up here on the screen, farewells. we have had a couple folks leave Gateway, decided they needed to move somewhere else, particularly the Eagles. Saying goodbye to them reminded me how much they've invested, how much we've invested, and how much we've all benefited from healthy Christian community. So why do I need Christian community? I'd like to tell you I don't, but I have been convinced I do. I need it because of my weaknesses, because of my fear. I'm afraid of what others will think. I'm afraid of failing, because of my inherent laziness, and because of the siren call of sin. For me, that takes the form of lust and the temptation to look at things I really shouldn't be looking at. But I need Christ's body to counter that. I need the support. that generates trust and confidence. I need the encouragement to keep moving, to keep doing things that need to be done. I need the accountability that comes from being known. The accountability to do what needs to be done and not do what I shouldn't do. And the forgiveness that's there when I fail, that banishes the shame. So, I said yes when I was asked about being an elder. I said, yes, because I want to extend this healthy Christian community to you, to more people, so that others can join in and participate.